Chapter 14, Paul kind of settles into the practical application of how our gifts play out while we are in corporate worship together. We don't really think about that, right? So um, it's, it's one thing when we think, yes, we've got gifts and we use them when we are serving people in the nursery or when we are teaching Sunday school. But what about when we gather together in a space and time like this, how does it play out in worship? Paul is going to talk about orderly worship and the use of spiritual gifts. And in this particular context, he's going to emphasize the, the, the message through the dialogue of spiritual gifts, uh, uh, tongues, as it were, is the gift that he is going to talk about and make the example of. Now, now the, the book of uh, the, let me get my words. Okay, the church in Corinth, right, um, had a handful of gifts that were prevalent to them, that were um, ones that they prided themselves on, and they were the gift of tongues, right, and the gift of prophecy. They really prided themselves on the fact that they could speak in tongues and they could speak prophetically. And so when Paul writes chapter 14, he is writing specifically to this church about their gift of tongues and prophecy. Now, what we need to know is that that was their specific display. Every church has a slightly different makeup, right? So our church looks different than the church of Corinth, right? Which looks different than the church down the street, which looks different than the Nazarene church in Nome this morning, right? So every church is made up of a different group of people with a different set of spiritual gifts. So if Paul were writing the letter to the church of Ketchikan, he might not emphasize the same idea uh, through tongues, right? Because we'd be like, we're not really seeing that as the prevalent thing here. So please take in mind that while we read this, he is talking to a specific body of believers that were exercising a particular set of gifts. But there is an overarching message that we are going to get out of this that is practical and applicable to every church, no matter what gifts they are displaying. Does that make sense? Because people will get lost in the weeds when we read a chapter about speaking in tongues and they will freak out and they will read into all kinds of things. And we just need to understand that he is talking to a specific church about a specific gift, which is a gift from the Holy Spirit, but that we need to take the overarching principle and apply it to us, okay? Um, and that is what we are going to do today. Um, so if you want to follow along, we are going to read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 together in its entirety, okay? And then we are going to go back and we are going to look at the overarching principles of this, uh, of this book. Now, um, uh, I think I've got it in the English Standard Version on the screen, but if you have a digital Bible that's a different format, if you want to read it in the NIV, which is the Bibles that are under the seats around you, feel free to do that. Uh, I love that there are a variety of uh, biblical... Does, does anyone else find it creepy when your devices talk to you? Yeah? Okay, I do too. Um, so, uh, well, that was weird. Okay, um, uh, I just love the variety of translations. So they give us a slightly different perspective on what the original language was. So follow along in what you've got, and uh, I've got it in ESV up here. It says this in 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love, right? Because he's just coming out of the love chapter. Above all other things, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, let me just take a brief left turn here. Prophecy. Um, people freak out when they hear this word, right? Because they're thinking like the future and the lotto numbers of tomorrow and all those kinds of things. Okay, That's not necessarily what this word means. 
The word prophecy can have two meanings. In the Old Testament, sometimes it was used to foretell, right, what is going to happen. God gave a handful of very specific people a little bit of idea of what was going to happen for their nation, for their country, if they didn't follow uh, God's commandments. So if you don't obey God, your nation will be overthrown. That's a foretelling kind of thing. This will happen, and God was very specific about it, and the times that the prophets foretold, it was directly from the mouth of God through the prophet to a specific group of people, and it happened 100% of the time the way God said it would, because what God says actually happens because that's who God is. Now, prophecy can also mean forthtelling. Okay, there's foretelling and forthtelling. Forthtelling is simply telling the truth, right? I am telling exactly what God's word says. I am speaking the truth unashamedly to you. So in that sense, every single one of us are a little bit of a prophet because when we tell the gospel, we are telling the truth. We are telling what is actually 100% true 100% of the time. Does that make sense? Okay, so when this talks about um, prophecy. Sorry, I'm having trouble hearing you. <laughs> it's really freaking me out. Um, when we are uh, telling, uh, uh, or talking about prophecy in this sense, he is talking about the idea of speaking the truth in love, okay? Um, because uh, the gift of prophecy is the gift of telling the truth, right? And we're going to get into that in, in a little bit later in this chapter. I just want to clarify that for you. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Yeah, on the other hand, the one who prophecies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. <coughs> the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophecies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. Paul is saying, this is, a, this is a good gift. This is not a bad gift. I want you to speak in tongues. But even more, I want you to tell the truth plainly so that people can understand. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone can interpret so that the church may be built up. Do you see what he's saying? It doesn't matter what gift you're using. The idea is that the church would be built up. The idea is that people would be encouraged. The idea is that your spiritual gifts are used for the benefit of the corporate worship, not an individual person, so that it doesn't make sense to anybody else. That your gifts are an integral part in corporate worship together. Now, brothers, if I come to you and I speak in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If... Even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or harp, do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? See, they had uh, something called a shofar, uh, the bugle. It was a, a horn of some kind that was hollowed out. And they would play it, and certain types of intervals meant certain things. So some were calls to worship, and some were calls to battle. And what he's saying is, listen, if I have the gift of bugle... And I come and I go on the bugle. No one's going to know what that means. So I need to be very precise in the use of my gift so that people know that it is time for worship or time for battle. My gift needs to be specifically used for everybody, not just a sound I make because I can, right? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, 
How will anyone know what is said? You will be speaking into air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. And if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Let that resonate with you for a moment. If you are here at church and you are glorifying God on the inside and you're having this wonderful moment between you and Jesus, can I example this for a moment? The worship is really moving, right? The song is rocking. You're feeling it with Jesus. Right? How is anybody going to praise with you? How is anybody going to be? And you're in your mind. You are you in your mind. This is what's going on. Yes, Jesus, because you did this amazing thing this week. And it was so awesome. And I can't believe how great you are. But all that is going on is this. How will anyone say amen to your thanksgiving? Right? So there's this, there's this balance, right? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I love Paul. He's, <laughs> sometimes I read Paul's words and I'm like, dude, you are like just straightforward. Like, you have a type A personality that blows all other type A personalities away. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. If anybody questions whether Paul had the gift of tongues, okay? <laughs> nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Though I have the gift of tongue, Paul says. Though I can speak in tongues, Paul says, better than any of you, Paul says. I would rather restrain that gift among the body of believers so that what I do display actually edifies the church than speak a billion words, a thousand words that make no sense to anybody and doesn't encourage anybody. He recognizes that the gift should be used to, to build up the church. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. This is important. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, even if they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. This is talking about the book of Acts. Remember when Pentecost came and the tongues of fire came down upon the disciples in the upper room and they all started speaking in tongues, in languages that were spoken around the world so that in that moment, in that city, people from all nations which were gathered because of what was going on in the city at the time could suddenly hear the gospel, prophecy, truth being proclaimed in their own language so that everybody had an opportunity to hear the gospel. 
Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Let's tell the truth to one another and encourage one another in love. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, outsiders and unbelievers will enter, will they not say, y'all are crazy? Right? This is what this means, right? If we are all, okay, speaking in tongues. Now, there's two types of tongues in Scripture. The kind of tongues that we see in Acts, where they speak in a language that exists, um, so that other people in that nation can hear you and understand you. And then there's the spiritual tongues, the tongues of angels, which Paul is also talking about in this passage. And he says, listen, if you all come together, specifically Corinth, because you claim you have this gift, and you are all speaking in the tongue of angels, which doesn't have a translation in the world, and you are all gathered together, and in this kind of worship, you are all speaking something completely different, and unbelievers enter in among your midst, and they take one look at you, and they go, nope, zero stars, do not recommend, and they walk out of the church, right? Will they not say you are out of your minds? What is the point of corporate worship? How do you use this gift in worship? But if all prophecy, if all tell the truth, if all are honest about their life and where they were this week and what they did and they repent of their sin and they say, I did some wrong things, but God is really good and he forgave me and I, by the grace of God, am not going to live that way this next week and, and I am so thankful that Jesus worked in my life in X, Y, or Z this week and an outsider enters and hears those things, then he is convicted and called to account. And the secret of his hearts are disclosed. And then he falls on his face and he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Should that not be what church is like, right? Should that not be what happens when we gather together and our gifts are tempered so that the unbeliever who enters among us can actually hear the word of God, see the truth of God's church played out. And then because of that, he has heard the truth and he can't help but say, wow, Y'all are a totally different kind of people than the people outside this building. There's something about you that I want to participate in. How do I do that? And then they participate by confessing that Christ is God. What then, brothers? When you come together, why not each one of you have a hymn or a lesson or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation? Why not all of you use your gifts? But let all of those gifts be used for the building up of the church. So if any speak in a tongue, let there only be two, at most three, right? Don't be chaos. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, why don't you just keep silent and speak to yourself and God, right? Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If revelation is made to one sitting there, let the first be silent. You can all prophecy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion. God is not a God of confusion. If our corporate worship is confusing to people, we are not doing things the way God would have us do things. God is a God of peace, as in all the churches of all the saints. Now, this is the one that people are like, mm, Paul. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission. This isn't what the passage is about, but I do want to address it so that it doesn't cause anybody to stumble this morning, okay? Um, a lot of people look at Paul and go, man, Paul hated women. And time and time again, we read in, in Paul's writings things that cause people to go, ugh, right? Um, let's recapture this verse in the way that it is intended. In the city of Corinth, there were a lot of false churches, 
a lot of churches where there were priestesses and they worshiped through uh, prostitution. They worshiped through um, ecstatic utterings, which could look like the gift of tongues, but wasn't. Um, and they were all done by women in those churches, okay, those false churches. Now, when those women got saved, they gave their heart to Christ. They, they became uh, saved because they trusted that God forgave them of their sins. They came into the Christian church, but they practiced the things that they did in the other church. Paul was saying, listen, there is a problem in specific the church of Corinth where women who have come from a place where they can utter ecstatic utterances and they can worship in ways that are not becoming of Christ. They're coming into the Christian church and they're doing that. Specifically, those women shouldn't be speaking in church because it is not edifying the body of Christ. What Paul does not by mean by this is women should be silent as the rule, right? This was a specific thing that was going on in the church of Corinth. Women were coming in and dividing worship in a way that was unglorifying to God, teaching things that were contrary to scripture because of the way that they were raised in faith in outside uh, Christian circles. He said, listen, for this time and period, for this church, um, those women shouldn't be speaking. We need to help them grow first before they should be allowed to publicly speak and teach, right? Does that make sense? Um, because uh, this can be a very confusing passage. It's not where we're going this morning, but I wanted to address it. If you have further questions on that, would you let me know? Because I'd love to help you understand the heart of Paul, not what um, culture has said Paul is talking about. So we'll leave that there and go forward. Um, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. It is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? I love this verse. Was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the only ones the word of God has reached? He's poking our pride buttons here. He's poking our, our idea that we know how to do church better than Jesus knows how to do church. Were you guys the one who originated the word of God? Do you guys get to determine how all churches look and act and feel and speak? No. Um, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, then he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Okay, this is it's the crux of his passage. All things in worship, corporate, should be done decently and in order. So the very first thing that we need to know about corporate worship, according to Paul, is that we exist to glorify God when we gather together. <clears throat> when we gather together as a body of believers, we exist to glorify Jesus. Not ourselves, um, not our own desires, not our own preferences, but Jesus and Jesus alone. Um, public worship is to glorify Jesus. And in our aim to worship Jesus, uh, there are a, a variety of things that we can do. Uh, we can um, read uh, scripture. That's a way we can glorify Jesus. Um, we can hear scripture because not everybody's reading it at the same time. That could be pure confusion, right? So we recognize some people have been called to preach and teach. Some people have been called to, for a time being, sit and listen. One of the ways that we glorify God is the hearing and the responding to 
the word of God. Like we are not just hearers, we are doers of it. So if you come and hear, but you don't do what scripture says, then we are not fully worshiping Jesus. We, we sing um, and uh, we encourage one another through the body of Christ. And all of this glorifies Jesus. Um, one of the other ways that we glorify Jesus in the gathering together of worship um, is surrendering our wills. You think about that? Um, if you uh, read verse 36 for a moment, uh, chapter 14, verse 36, it says this. Was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones that it has reached? Uh, we come to church, um, and we often, the longer we are in a church, specifically any church, the longer you have stayed in a body of believers, the more you begin to think you know how to do church there, right? Because the longer you stay, the more authority you begin to have, the more respect you get from the people who are newer around you. Um, and so the more leadership position you have and the longer you are in that, the more you think you know how church is best done. Paul says this, did the word of God come from you? And if no, then you are not the be-all, end-all stopping point for how church should be done. Which means your will, your preferences, your desires for what worship looks like should submit to what God says. So this should check every single person who's in a position of leadership, including your pastor, right? Because just because I happen to have the title of pastor doesn't mean I know best what church should look like. Jesus knows best what church should look like. And leading a church, leading a ministry, participating in any way, shape, or form means that we are continually going, God, what would you say is best for church? How would you best be glorified in these moments? How can we best worship in these times? What is the best way that we can serve you? Um, and that often means going, what I want might not be what Jesus wants. What my preferences might not be the best way to act in this moment. Um, God is constantly checking us so that he is glorified and we don't build a church that is centered around any one personality, any one type, any one group, anyone, anyone. Does that make sense? Um, we don't ever want to be a church where... Like Paul says, it's not a Paul of church, you know, a church of Paul. Uh, we aren't baptized in the name of any one person. We're baptized in the name of Jesus. Um, and it's very easy in our day and age to exalt pastors or leaders into a position above Jesus by accident. Where the church then begins to take the shape of that person rather than Christ. And we come to church in orderly worship to glorify Jesus and Jesus alone. So the first thing that we need to know, Paul says, is that we are to glorify Christ. It seems kind of Sunday school basic, but we have to say it out loud and be reminded of that because we will elevate our preferences as a body together without thinking about it. And it comes into play um, when, uh, when we get to this next thing, when we go believers uh, are to be encouraged. We like to feel comfortable in worship, and we want to be encouraged. So we come here and we think, what makes us feel encouraged? When we feel good about ourselves. 
And we feel good about ourselves when our preferences are elevated, when we come to a place that is comfortable for us, when we come to a place that serves our every whim and every need. That might not be exactly what Jesus is saying when he says believers should be encouraged. Um, believers should be encouraged. Uh, if you read uh, verses uh, 3 through 5 with me real quick. Um, on the other hand, one who prophecies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. That might mean when you come to church, you are built up. The definition of you being built up is when someone, a mature Christian, in the church says, and I'd really like to pray for you because I can see you're struggling with an area in your life. I can see this week through your Facebook posts, right? That you were struggling with gossip or that you were struggling with whatever. Can I encourage you? Let's, let's open the scriptures together and see that God's word says we shouldn't be doing that. Let's pray that you don't struggle with that this week. That is prophecy in action. That is the church building itself up. That is spiritual gifts at work in the life of the corporate church. That glorifies Jesus. When we don't walk among one another and ignore the struggles that people are having, but we use the gifts that God has given us to speak into the lives of the people around us. But let's be honest, that doesn't make us feel comfortable, does it? No. Um, so again, when we are glorifying God, we are surrendering our will to his will. And we are saying we need to be built up. And that might mean at some points, people might have to get up in our zone and make us a little bit uncomfortable with the ways that we have been living that are contrary to the way of Christ. Um, if uh, we read verse 12, it says this, um, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, if, if you want manifestations of the Spirit, if you want God to be seen alive and active among you, strive to excel in building up the church. How many of us, don't raise your hands, come here on a Sunday morning, and I've asked this before, out of habit. You come here to feel fulfilled, to check your checklist, to sing some songs, um, to know that you have done your Christian duty, but you don't come to strive in building up the church. You don't come with the mindset that your spiritual gift is essential for the corporate worship, is integral to someone else maturing in their faith, that your life in Christ actually is intertwined with the lives of other people, so that if you do not flex your spiritual gift by the help of the Holy Spirit on a Sunday morning, someone else will not be built up. How many of you think that on a Sunday morning? Or do you just come to church, right? And I'll be first to admit, and you know, maybe I'll be the only in church. I will raise my hand and say, sometimes I just show up. Can a pastor say that? I'm a, I'm a person, right? Sometimes there are days when I just show up. I need Jesus every single Sunday, every single day. Otherwise, I will default to just showing up, just going through the motions, just doing church because it's what I do. But I really want God to use me on a Sunday morning. 
I really want the words that I speak to be God's words, not my words. And that means that I have to be willing to say the things that are hard, even if it makes people angry. And sometimes people do. Sometimes people don't like what I say, but that's okay. It's God's words, not my words, right? So be useful on Sunday for the glory of God. Don't just show up, but come expecting God to say, I really want you to go sit next to that other person today, even though you normally sit in that chair every Sunday. It's really essential that you go sit in that chair this Sunday because someone's going to sit there and I want you to talk to them. It's important that you are obedient to those things. He emphasizes this building up of the church over and over and over again. Again in verse 17, you may be giving thanks well enough, but someone else isn't being built up. We should, if we are giving thanks, give thanks out loud. How many of us come to church and actually testify about what God has done in their life? We might ought to learn the practice of building it into the worship service more often. But even if it's not an active part of the corporate structure, we are the body of Christ when we meet. When we are talking, we should be talking about more than just what our plans for the week are and where we're going to lunch. This time is sacred. Why are we not saying things like, you want to know what God did for me this week? Oh, man, I was really struggling, but I heard a song on the radio and God spoke to me and he reminded me how faithful he is when things are hard. Can you relate to that? Man, alive, it was so great. Those kinds of things are how God's people are built up in the body of Christ. Those kinds of things are essential. Those kinds of things play into this. How disconnected people find Christ attractive. There's this balance in church that church leaders struggle with all the time. In fact, books are written on it and conferences are held on it. And, uh, it's, should the church be seeker-friendly or should the church exist for believers? How should you err on the spectrum? When you are designing your church service, when you, are, when you are developing a sermon, should you aim for the people who have not yet met Christ and be totally evangelistic and every sermon hit the main points of Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins so that you could have eternal life. You don't have to work for it. He just gives it to you because he loves you, right? Should you aim that direction? Or should you aim the direction where you speak to believers and say the really hard things and you say the words that non-believers won't understand, right? So you say things like sanctification and regeneration and justification and all of the Asians that happen in scripture, right? Um, should you talk that language um, and, and leave out the people who are maybe disconnected from Jesus? Where do you go? How should church look, right? It's the age-old battle for church leadership and pastors. Paul deals with this. In fact, this entire passage kind of gives us a model for that. Christians should be building one another up. But we should be doing it in a way where those who are disconnected from Christ have a very clear idea about how to become connected. Not just that, but should find it attractive to become connected. Should look at what we do and go, I want a part of that. Not, those people are nuts. Okay? Um... One of my favorite passages in scripture is in this uh, chapter. Um, and and I've, I've had it as a favorite passage for a very long time. And it starts in verse 24, uh, 23. If the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you're crazy? We should check ourselves 
Is what we do on a Sunday morning attractive to people who aren't believers? Is the way that we talk, the way that we act, the songs that we sing, are they attractive to non-believers? Because if not, right, how are people going to come to Christ? I mean, we can speak the truth till we're blue in the face, but if we are not loving unbelievers in a way that makes this place a welcoming space for them, then we have done us wrong. How many of you are familiar with the term Christian ease? Anybody? Okay. For those of you that aren't familiar with the term, let me explain this term to you. Christian ease is the terms that Christians use that don't make sense to anybody who's not been around the church for a while. Right? So if we talk in Christian ease in the church, we say words that unbelievers aren't going to make sense. And we forget about it because the longer we've been in the church, the more we talk church. Right? Fellowship small groups, accountabilities, okay. um, sanctification, justification, regeneration, salvation, asking Christ into your heart, right? filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord's Supper. Like we take these words for granted, don't we? We know what they mean. But if all we do is talk like that, people are going to go, I don't, I don't know how to crack the code. I don't even know how to begin to be involved in this. This is a foreign language to people who are unchurched, to people who are disconnected from Christ. Paul wants us to really wrestle with this. If we are worshiping Jesus, but we are doing it in such a way that other people can't participate, we are doing something wrong. If all prophesying and, and an unbeliever and outsider enters... If all are telling the truth, plainly, clearly, Jesus is Lord. He saved me from my sins, those things that I shouldn't have done that I did. But he still loves me. Then an unbeliever, when he enters and hears that, will go, I understand that. I have an opportunity to participate in that. This is free for me to experience. How do I experience that? If we jump in with, well, first, you must quiet your heart before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to enter into you. What now? <laughs> right? Let's speak plainly so that people can understand because then they will worship God. Then they will declare God is among you. But they can't declare God is among you if they can't even figure out what God we are worshiping. People who are disconnected from Christ get invited to church regularly. In fact, show of hands, how many of you eventually came to Christ because someone you knew invited you to church or told you about Jesus? How many of you came to church or got connected with Christ because it just accidentally happened one day? The rest of you aren't Christians? Your parents, okay, so that was family, right? How many because your parents made you come? There we go. Someone you knew connected with Jesus, right? National studies show eight out of ten people who give their hearts to Christ have given their hearts to Christ because someone they know invited them regularly and faithfully. Okay? It's essential that as Christians, we invite people 
into a space and a place that is welcoming. Now, the challenge is this. Christians, there are a lot of things that make us comfortable in church. There are a lot of things we love in church. Songs that we like, ways to go about doing things. But they are comfortable for us. And they may not be comfortable for unbelievers. If we want to be obedient to God's word, we must pursue maturity with one another and do it in a way where unbelievers feel welcome and comfortable participating. There's a delicate balance there, and we must strive for that. That's what God's word tells us to do in the book of Corinthians. Um, Here's where the balance comes in. There's something called method and there's something called message. The message we preach never changes. This is the prophecy part. We will never change what we speak about. We will never compromise on what we believe. Our message is that Jesus is the Son of God. He is holy, perfect, died on the cross in our place for our sins. He is personal and wants a relationship with us. And he invites us to have life with him forever to live a life that pleases him, to have hope in hopeless times. He says, I want to give you all of that for free. You just come and hang out with me. Come and talk to me. Come and love me. That's the message that will never change. The method behind that is going to change pretty much every week, (laughs) every month, every year. Church culture changes, right? Think about 50 years ago. Pretty much every church wore suits and ties, right? Um, If you wore shorts to church, right? Yeah. Um, Culture changed. Now look at us. We range in all kinds of dress. Is that okay? Does that hinder our worship at all? No. No. Is the message still being preached? Yes. Yeah. It used to be you would never have drums and electric guitar in worship. Oh my gosh, do not bring rock and roll into the church. That's the devil worship, you know? But now you get drums, you get electric guitar, you got synthesizer, right? Depends on the church you go to. You got all kinds of music. Has the message changed? No. Has the method by which we speak it changed? Yes. What's church going to look like 10 years from now? I don't know, but we're still going to be preaching Jesus, right? That's how unbelievers come to know Jesus. It becomes attractive to them. We seek to find ways that appeal to the disconnected folks, but we never change the message we preach. And every single one of us has a role to partake in that. Every single one of us can participate in that. And we are stronger when we do it together in love.